If you will, open up your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, the 16th chapter. We're going to pick up where we left off, or I guess maybe not left off, but uh, we're going to talk again about what about healing and what... uh, you know, each of these messages stands alone, but if you didn't hear last week, I would encourage you to uh, get or listen to online or, you know, through whatever platform we have. You can go to our website and find different ways, but or YouTube channel and listen to last week because sometimes there's a lot of different ideas about healing, and we mentioned some things in there. Even though it's God's will to heal all, there's a scripture in the New Testament that says many are weak and many are sick and many die prematurely because of this. And so basically in telling the problem, he gives the solution. That, that's good news. Amen. And there's a lot of things in there like that. And if we've ever failed in, in healing, that doesn't mean you're a failure the rest of your life. I mean, if, if I sin and, or, and miss the mark in an area, that doesn't mean I'm doomed to that the rest of my life. Could you imagine if you were tempted to do something and you lost your temper one time in a wrong way? Nobody's ever done that here. But if you happen to know somebody like that, they're not doomed to that the rest of their life. Are they? <laughs> we're all, no, better not because that happened. No. Isn't that true? So any area, just because maybe we didn't hit the mark one time, doesn't mean we're doomed to that the rest of our life. And, and, but the enemy will encourage you to let you know, yes, that's your plot in life now. That's the land you will live in from now on. And he's just such a liar. Jesus is the truth. Satan is a liar. If there's anything we know, Jesus is for sure. Satan is for sure a liar. And so if he's telling you, you'll never make it, you won't amount to much, well, it'll keep happening because it won't work for you, well, then you should be encouraged. Because he doesn't need to say that if you're not making ground. Well, anyway, back to the program at hand. Luke 16, and we're talking about What about healing? So I would encourage you, go back and listen to last week. There are answers. And the reason they're written is to give answers to help people, to gain ground. Like I said, just because you failed in one area, I knew a preacher who had had a growth in his, it was a guy in his chest, and so he went and had it removed. And he had prayed and didn't know much, but he stood his ground and uh, started growing. And guess what? Praise the Lord. He got another one on the other side. So he said, this isn't going well. No, it is. And he stood his ground and that one disappeared. Just because he didn't see the results the first time doesn't mean you're doomed is what I'm saying. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But sometimes people just go, well, that doesn't work instead of going, let me observe some things here. Let me examine some things here. Let me see, are there some adjustments I can make and to look at things maybe in a different light that would help me or help you or help all of us. Luke's gospel, the 16th chapter. And so we're going to approach this a different way than we did last week. 
knowing from Scripture last week that healing is for all people just like salvation is. And some people, by examination, would say, well, healing isn't for all. And that's why I read that one scripture last week and loosely quoted it this week. But we're going to look at some different things that I think will be of an encouragement to you, a help to you, a help to your faith. And so in Luke 6, we're going to get started approaching this. Did I say Luke 16? How many are in Luke 16? All right, that's good. About 10 chapters before you'll get to Luke 6, and that's where I'm going to start. And I did hear myself say it, and I didn't correct myself, but now I'm being corrected. So if we all want to go to the same place, go to Luke 6. Now, if you're already bitter because of this, you know, this, he's making me do this, just relax, it's going to be good. And, uh, amen. And hey, if that's the biggest thing you've got going on today is having to turn a few chapters, you're going to have a really good day. Amen. Luke 6, teen is not where we're at. We're at Luke 6, okay? We're going to begin reading at verse 17. And we're going to read here, and you're, uh, we'll read verse 17, maybe, well, we'll just read 17. And he came down, Jesus with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people. So we see he comes down to this level place. He uh, is there with a bunch of his disciples and then there is just a crowd of people around and a great multitude of people from all of Judea and Jerusalem, and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. Notice this phrase. They came to hear him. They came to hear him. They came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Notice what it doesn't say. They came to be healed of their diseases. Notice it doesn't say that. Notice it says they came... They came. They put effort in to get there, and they didn't just put effort in and go, hey, I just need to be healed. But did they need to be healed? Yeah, but the first thing they did was they came to hear Him, hear the Word, and be healed of their diseases. That is real important. Notice this. Because some people, they want, I need healing. And you better give it to me, and you better give it to me now. And Jesus taught them first. Is that important? Notice it says, they came to hear, and they came then after to be healed. Now, notice this in Mark 9. Actually, there's other times these exact terms are used, but for time's sake, we won't turn to many of them. I said Mark 9, Matthew 9. This is an exercise today. We're going we're gonna to hit this right. Matthew chapter 9. Notice they came to hear and then to be healed. But notice this. It almost flips the table here on how Jesus did things. Somehow these people knew that, you know, they needed to come and hear 
and then get healed. Maybe they learned it from Jesus' approach to humanity and how he dealt with people. Notice this in Matthew 9, 35. And Jesus went. Notice, before they came. This time, he went about all the cities and villages. So this was, even though it's showing it like one thing, he's talking about this occurring in cities and in villages. So this is something that's happening and happening. This is a pattern. We noticed before when he was settled down in a place, people came to hear the word, the truth, and then receive their healing or get healed. This time, it says, then Jesus went. Instead of them coming, he's going about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching or proclaiming the good news or the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Notice the progression. They heard, they heard, he, his pattern was going and telling the truth, then healing. Why such a small thing is such a big thing? You know, and like I said, these are not the only ones, and he's showing a pattern, and somehow these people have adopted the idea too, because we read they would come to hear what he was saying and then receive healing. And even in Jesus' sermons, when he taught one of his first ones, he, and, and I believe he taught it in other places, he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim, and then after proclaiming, to heal. Why is it so important to hear in order to receive? It should go without saying, but it needs to be said. How can a person get saved, the Bible said, unless they hear? If it is so important to hear the truth in order for somebody to get saved, then isn't it just as true to get delivered or to get healed, it would be a value to hear the truth too. Jesus made a phenomenal statement, if you will, before, well, I won't have you turn there. I'm going to say a couple things first, otherwise people will be turning. Uh, and these are important truths. The power of the Spirit of God is on the Word of God alone. You know, you, you can have this book at your house and the power of the Spirit of God is in and upon these pages. You know, the Spirit of God, when the earth in the beginning it said that the earth was without form and void, it literally means it was in utter chaos and destruction. If you read Jeremiah, it said God didn't make it that way. But something happened where there was darkness there. But what's interesting, it said the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over that darkness. The chaos 
the destruction, whatever the disorder was. And I would assume by what we can read in Scripture that Satan had tried to exalt himself and was cast down, and he's down there. And he is the producer of that. But the Spirit of God is there, and nothing is happening. Until words are spoken, God's words that are contained in himself, which the Spirit of God is directly connected to those words. Maybe that's why Jesus went everywhere preaching and teaching, then healing. And maybe that's why people went to hear him and then receive after they heard. Because there is inherent power in the Word of God. The Word is empowered and the Word is impregnated. Right now it is. Regardless. And you know, if I go rub this on your arm, I don't, I don't want to get pregnant. That, it, it's not going to do that. It's impregnated with power. Is the power going to get on your arm? Oh, no, because it doesn't transfer that way. But, it, but just because somebody has the book, and you know, maybe you have a coffee table version. It's the big giant one. You know, those ones, you know, that they used to be a popular wedding gift. Now they're not. But, you know, maybe I should just start getting those for people on their wedding. You know, they're, they're like this big. Anybody remember those ones? You see them at a garage sale. And, um, you know, they're like big. And you put it on your coffee table. Now people put a Buddha on their thing. And uh, some truth in that. You know, it's like, oh, there's artwork. But, hey... The Bible, but just because you've got that there doesn't mean power is radiating out of you through your house. But there is power in those pages. But it doesn't mean it automatically just comes forth. And, and we need to realize uh, that often people are looking for somebody to make them free and even looking to God to make them free, but you have to approach the way the Bible tells us to approach, and if you will, a very familiar verse, John 8, 31. Because people are looking for God, and God is pointing them maybe in a certain pattern. How many people have prayed, but you got to approach the way God wants you to approach. John 8, 31. This is Jesus here. It said, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, because not all Jews believed him, which is wild to me. They didn't all believe him, but some did. So he spoke to the ones who believed him, not to the ones who didn't believe him. That's important. Because there are some things you're going to tell to people who believe that you're not going to tell to people who don't believe. And just because God tells you something because you're a believer doesn't mean that's what we tell people who are non-believers. So what did he tell them? So Jesus told those who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So that means you're going to be a student of the truth of the Word of God. 
if you are a believer, he said, if you want to become a disciple, and really that is the great commission or commandment of the church, is not go make converts, but to make disciples of all people. Not only get them saved, make disciples. Make them that. Well, what does a disciple look like? Well, a disciple is one who does what? If you, are, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So that means you can have the coffee table Bible and you're automatically a disciple. No. You got to crack the book. You know, when I grew up, we had the Munsters. They were awesome. Some people like the Munsters. You need to go to YouTube and watch them. They were a monster family, but they were like, it was like a comedy show. And they would have books and they would open them. You know, if you ever remember the Munsters, they open a book and it would just be dust. I hope that that is not the case for people and their Bible. And then dust. Well, that can't be that you can't be a disciple that way. Now, you may believe in him, but a disciple is one who abides in the word. And he said, if, and isn't it interesting that he said if, he didn't, he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And so it's not just a reading of the book, it's an actual reading, looking, studying, and then doing. Then you're a disciple. How many want to be a disciple? Three people. No, I'm kidding. No, I believe we all want to be disciples. And he gave such a simple thing. You know, if you want to go, you know, a lot of people want to do a discipleship program. The first discipleship program Jesus gave was get in the book and stay there. See, so many people are looking for freedom. So many people are looking for answers. And I'm talking believers. And really, he said right here, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and, you're, and you shall come to know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Here's what it doesn't say. You'll just get so blessed. But haven't you ever read the Bible and been just blessed? See, the Lord, you know, you can praise God and you'll get blessed because of His presence. But it's not permanent. Anybody ever been there? Woo, man, it was good. But it wasn't permanent. Anybody ever prayed and just been exalted, and, you know, inwardly and just gone, woo, that was great. Anybody ever share with somebody and you walked away and went, wow, that was awesome. But notice those things have shelf life. You know what that means? There's an expiration date. Do you enjoy those things? I sure do. God makes the work of the kingdom pleasurable. But notice what he said. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We want to be blessed in all those things, but 
how many people have said, I want to be free, or I want to walk in this. And he tells us right here, it's not per se just looking to God, God going, God, when are you going to do something? It's approaching the Lord like, uh, like those people did. They came to hear him. He went to tell them. Let me say that over here. He went to tell them. They came to hear him. And so if they came to hear him and they came, you know, he went to tell and they came to hear and then the progression is then they started receiving after they were hearing. Notice this in, in James 1, a familiar verse maybe to many people, but if he came to tell people and they came to hear him, then that means they heard him. That means they heard, right? If you came to hear me today and hear what the Word of God had to say, and you're listening, then you're hearing. I came not to do tap dance because that would only be temporary enjoyment until you saw... This guy doesn't know what he's doing. But to get permanent freedom, you're not going to get it from me tap dancing. That's what I'm saying. But I came to share the word. And I won't even attempt to do some kind of dance jig because it just wouldn't turn out good. Or maybe it would. You know, maybe you could make a lot of money posting it online. They're like, what's he doing? No, that's dancing, not a spasm. James 1, I've come to share, we should come to hear. They came to hear, he went to preach. Because why? There is power impregnated in the word of God. It's called a seed. Look up the word seed. It literally means that the ability is in it to reproduce whatever it is, whatever the type of seed. It, the ability is there. And God watches over His Word. And His Spirit hovers, but there are some steps within it. James 1 says this, Therefore, verse 21, Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. So he's basically saying, you know, get rid of some junk here in your life. And he's writing to Christians. And notice this phrase. And to me, this is fascinating how it's worded. Uh, it really is, to me, different. And I'll explain as I read it. It says, receive with meekness. Notice this phrase, the implanted word. To me, that's a, uh, not the way you would say receive the implanted word because it's implanted. You know, it, it's already there. It's already been put in. So it, it seems odd to me that he would make the statement, 
receive with meekness the implanted word. Meaning this, this word that I'm to receive is already implanted. That's weird. Unless you go back and think about the scriptures we read that said that Jesus went to preach and they came to hear. Do you know just because you come to a place and the word is taught, it is actually being implanted because faith automatically comes when you hear but you know that's not the end? Think about it. It said in Romans 10, did they not all hear? That meant faith came to all of them. But not all of them accepted or believed what was being said. You know, you can go, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to be here. And even though stuff is being implanted, that's not the way to get results. I've already heard this before. Notice, receive with meekness the implanted word. I looked up the word in the Greek about implant. It literally means words that are through teaching have come to you. So what is it that I'm to receive? So when, we, when we're hearing stuff, it's getting in our head and in our heart right away. But it says, I'm to receive that word. That implanted word. Well, could God give you an implanted word too? Could he deal with you about something? Anybody ever had an implanted word through him? And you said, that's nice. That's wonderful. No, but he said, you have to receive that implanted word too. But remember this, the word of God is the standard of all. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will not pass away. It is sure. And so, what are we preaching? Remember in the Bible, one minister said, we don't preach ourselves. You could say it like this, I don't preach my own ideas. Because if I preach my own ideas and you receive them, they're, they're, they're not full of power. But notice this. Receive with meekness the implanted word. In other words, whatever this meekness is, I'm to accept words that come from God that really when I hear them, they're implanted. Now I have a part to play. And it comes down to me, and it comes down to this word meekness. Years ago, I could remember when I first got saved, um, and, and you, you hear people give definitions, you know, meekness is not, you know, it's like weakness. You know, and you're like, oh, okay, well, whatever. I'd never heard a good definition, and I didn't know they were readily found. And so when he said, receive with meekness this word that's been implanted, in other words, I am with my own attitude, it's my attitude, 
meekness is something that the Bible said is in every believer's spirit. Now, your mind can get tainted with thoughts, and you have to deal with those. But inside the fruit of the Spirit, one of them is meekness. One thing about you, if you're saved, there is a hunger for the Word of God. The Bible said everybody born of God hungers like a newborn baby desires milk, desires the Word of God down in your spirit. We just have to recognize you have feelings and you have a spiritual part of you. That spiritual part, if we'll walk with it and go that way, there is a hunger. And God will deal with you in those lines. That's how he approached them. That's how freedom is. But notice this. He said we have to accept these implanted words that are impregnated with power with meekness. Meekness literally means to accept his dealings as good. So the first thing we have to do is realize his word is good. We have to treat it like it's good. We have to treat his dealings as they're good. You ever been dealt with and said, I don't know about this? Well, that's where we have to receive it and go, no, 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 I'm not going to allow this thought to come in because this thought has to be from the enemy. Has to be. Are you telling me that, that a thought would just come from you that would say, oh, this word's not good? No. They're from the enemy. When the enemy's gone, you'll never have that thought. But if, if, if a dealing comes or something comes from God, we're to, the first thing of meekness is, we deal with his words that come as good. It's good. It's good. We're all, we've all been kids at one time. Some of us are kids or on the verge of breaking forth and becoming adults. And, but have you ever had a, a parent say, do this, and you're like, this is no good. Some of you have not been a kid in a while because you're not going, I know. What to. No, we've all been there, Right? Everybody who was a kid, and I think that's why parents later on are like, no, it is good. Because they sat in the seat that the kid sits in. But when we're a, a parent that wants the best, we're going to say things that are good, and we're going to want them to accept it as good. Is there anything God's giving that is not good? But meekness literally accepts the truth as good. I don't understand, but this is good. Amen. His word is good. His dealings are good. The next part of the definition, you're like, that's not all? Nope, there's more. It literally means to accept his dealings with us is good, and therefore or because we deal with them is good, not disputing them or resisting them. You know why many times people uh, argue with his dealings and why people resist his dealings? It's because they don't think they're good. 
How could we think that his dealings through the word or even by his spirit that there's something else that's better? He who goes to seek to save his own life, he said he'll lose it. But he who loses his life for the sake of the kingdom will find it. In other words, that's where the good is. And if people are like resisting uh, his dealings, resisting different things, uh, you know, that come through the word of God or disputing, which would be to argue with them. That is the definition of doubt, by the way. then I must not be thinking it's good. Because how could I think it's good and still be resisting it? Or do I just like bad? It's good to think that way. I'm not really seeing how good it is. Adam and Eve, when they got introduced to God and they were walking with God, he's created and he told them, listen, uh, every, you can eat all this and you can have a good life and you can even eat this tree over here and it will give you life forever. And uh, there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and I want you to walk with me uh, and choose to walk with me, not a forced walk. Because I'm going to make you in such a way that we're going to have a real relationship and a real relationship can't be forced. There has to be option. There has to be choice. And I'm going to make it so big that everything out here is going to be really good and everything you're ever going to need in every form of life and even for eternal life is right here. And it's going to be good. And then the enemy came and said, you're missing out on something there's something better. How can there be something better than God in what he says and what he deals with? But the devil is deceptive. We, he has to be deceptive. The Bible said he, was, he got deceived by his own beauty. He start, and, and think about it. God made him so beautiful, he started thinking, man, I'm just beautiful. And he was. But he started getting to the point where he's like, man, I am beyond. And he didn't realize God did that so he could be that way. But he got lifted up in himself, and it said, and then his wisdom was corrupted. So he had gotten wisdom from God, and he just started twisting it. Are you with me? And then that dude fell... And now he is the deceiver. And Adam and Eve have everything on a plate given to them. And he just said, just don't touch this one thing. And the enemy comes in and said, you're missing out on something. They're not realizing that God's dealings are good. And that to refuse God's dealings or to go outside the design of His Word is just not a good thing. And we've all tasted that, and it's not good. And you want to run back as quick as you can. And, and so what they did 
was they didn't deal with God's word as being something good. Uh, and the enemy came in and twisted it and said, no, no, you're missing out. And so what they did was didn't accept what was good. And every Christian who knows the truth is like merciful to Adam and Eve. Right? We're not all going to get there and go, where are Adam and Eve? You know, some people want to see their loved ones. There's others who are like, where's Adam and Eve? You know what you did? And I've said this and I've heard people say this. We may not have lasted as long as they did. But nonetheless, we're there. And we, we realize they sold out to a lie because they wouldn't think of God's dealings as good, like I'm missing out, and they weren't missing out. And then it was too late. And so they started disputing and resisting the word because they didn't accept it as good. Man, it's getting quiet in here. This is good stuff because it's real easy for you and I to go, all the stuff we see is good if it's from God. Then that changes resisting. And it, and it takes away the disputing. Why? There's nothing to dispute. It's good. It, what he has to say is good. I mean, think of, I mean, if, you know, they have like planners, you know, retirement guys, you know, financial advisors, and you can come in and look at a graph, and they're going to show you this, this, you know, this how it's done, and you start early and we're going to make you a multi-millionaire by the time you retire. Now, if you looked at God's estate planning, he's like, all my dealings are good. Don't argue with them. They'll bring you into success. And then Satan has got an office down the street and you go in there and he's like, listen, don't look at this down here. I end up in hell. I burn forever. Uh, everybody who follows me ends up there. And here's how I got there. I, I didn't believe that God's dealings were good. And that's how I work. And, and so don't think like that. But I'm telling you, you're missing out on something. Oh, really? Okay. I'm going to follow you. And people do. I mean, if that was your portfolio and you had a package and then you'd like come back with all your friends and you're like, look what I just saw today. Who'd you meet with? Oh, it was Satan. What you do if you really want something now. Now, how many of us will go, now that just, that's stupid. But how many people are doing that? So what do we need to do? Deal with his, his dealings and accept his dealings and accept his word is good. Luke 5 is an interesting story. In the Bible, the power of the Lord was present in Luke 5, 17. And he, he, Jesus had entered into this house and a bunch of religious people came there and, and he is there preaching the word of God. Remember, he taught, and he preached, and he healed. So he's in there teaching, 
And there's all these religious people. And the Bible said the power of the Lord was present to heal all of them. All of them. And not one of them got healed. You know why? Because they violated this scripture right here that we were reading. Then another guy who is at home who was crippled, he and four friends, they carried him. When they showed up there, it says that Jesus saw their faith. And then Jesus, after they tore a hole in the roof and lowered the man down, he said to him, he said, your sins are forgiven you. And you can tell right here, the Lord is now dealing with some people who are going to receive the word with meekness. And are actually receiving the implanted word. Because he said, your sins are forgiven. The word's been implanted. But there were a bunch of religious people. You know what they did? They started reasoning them in themselves. They didn't accept it without arguing, without disputing. They said, who is he that, that he thinks he can forgive people of their sins? Only God can do that. They're not receiving the word with meekness. But the power is there to heal them. But they're not, they're arguing. They're not believing. I mean, how good is it for a person to have your sins washed away? But how many people don't even receive that with meekness after their sins have been washed away? They, they, God says, you're, you're clean. No, I'm not. I, I did it too many times. Quit arguing. If he says you're clean, that's good. Go to the source, and if you go, okay, what he said is good, and it's right, then quit disputing. But they're like, who does he think he is to do this? Now the and Jesus, it said, perceived that they were struggling and arguing inwardly while he was preaching. And he said, I'm just going to say this. And he knew he could do it because he knew the condition of the man who was crippled. What was the condition of the man? He had meekness. He accepted whatever the Lord said through His Word, and then in this case, by the Lord in person, who was preaching the gospel of the kingdom as good. So he didn't argue. He didn't resist it. And you think about what happened. Jesus knew He was dealing, and He knew He could take this guy further than He could take the crowd. And so what did He do? He just said to the guy, he said, your sins are forgiven. The crowd's arguing. And then what does the Lord say? Just so you guys know who are arguing that I have power not only to forgive sin, uh, I say to you, rise up and walk. Well, this guy's already received the word. He's in faith. He's going to receive the next part, and the Lord knew it. And he said, your sins are forgiven. And then I say, act on the word. You're healed. Without a feeling, he accepted that word and began to act, and he received the word. He didn't argue with it. He believed that God's dealings were good, so if the Lord said this, because remember, he preached or proclaimed, and the Lord proclaimed, and then once he proclaimed and said, you're healed, and you know the Bible said, we're healed. Like I said, if we've missed it before, 
That doesn't mean we're a failure. Remember the disciples? Those guys that never messed up? Followed the Lord? One time they went to cast the demon out of somebody and then they couldn't. And the Lord said, what's your problem? You should have been able to do this. And then they, they said, uh, why couldn't we? Because they had been doing it up to then. And the Lord explained why they didn't get results, which he wanted results for them. And so they all said, we're quitting the ministry because we don't get results. No, they didn't say that. But later on, we see them getting results. So just because somebody fails doesn't mean they're doomed to failure. And here in Luke 5, what happens here is that man receives the word and acts on it without argument, and he would have had every reason to argue. Now I'm going to close right here in Hebrews 12. His word is true. His word is impregnated with power. You just have to accept it as good. And don't argue with it. Take it as good and act on it sincerely. That's why he wants people to be continually in his word. Because then you can find freedom there that you cannot find in prayer. And don't get me wrong, prayer is important. But it, prayer could be a time of consummating something that you know from the truth of the Word of God. Are you with me? And, and, and praise, love to praise the Lord. There's people in heaven doing that right now. Angels and saints and, and it's wonderful. And there's people in other time zones who are starting church probably right now somewhere in the world. And they're praising God and they're being blessed. But there's not a permanency to that blessing. There's a permanence to the freedom you get in the Word. Hebrews 12. And we'll look at this. Verse 1 and verse 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses talking about all these saints who lived by faith and saw all kinds of wonderful things happen in their life. He said, let us lay aside every weight. A weight is not sin, but a weight will slow you down. And the sin, which so easily ensnares us. I wish he didn't say that. Because then that means we're going to deal with stuff that if we're not careful can easily entangle you and slow you down in your race. So he said you got to get rid of some things so you can run at maximum speed. Because isn't it true? I mean I'm not trying to make this into some kind of counseling session. You know like... Overeaters Anonymous, but I have a couple extra pounds and I notice when I hike. But if you lay aside those extra pounds, it's amazing how much better your endurance is. Amen. How many people train with weights? 
I mean, it used to be when I was younger, they had these Velcro things that ran around your ankles and went around your wrists. You know, you looked cool with a headband, too. Okay, I didn't wear a headband. and Okay, I did. No, I didn't. But, uh, and a gold chain. No. Sorry, I'm having my own party up here. And, um, but nowadays, I'll go hiking, and I'll see people, and they wear these vests. And I'm like, you're overboard. You know, they got weights all over them. But I do know this, when they get done, they can take that off, and it changes how they do things. And he said, if we just lay certain things aside, notice this, every weight and sin which so easily ensnares or entangles us, and let us run with endurance. Your endurance is improved by laying aside different weights. That's just cool. But here's where I wanted to get to. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher or developer and completer of our faith. In other words, the one who will help your faith be productive. But notice the only instruction he gives is looking unto Jesus. Well, you could just read right over that. But what are we talking about? The power in his word to produce lasting change and results. What does it mean looking unto Jesus? And it has to do with how we receive the word and what we do with the word. It literally means to look away from one thing to see another. But how many times do people get the impregnated word put into them and they keep looking at the problem? Or they get the impregnated word in them and they say, well, I can't forgive or he doesn't love me. You're going to have to move your eyes away from that and keep doing it. Literally, you're going to have to look away from one thing to look to another. Cameras are great at this and not great at this. And I wonder if we have to be careful. You know, you ever, you know, now everybody's got a high-quality camera on their phone, but you ever gone to take a picture of something and maybe there's a fence or a tree right there and you're wanting to get a picture of that thing over there, but it keeps grabbing and focusing here and you're like, come on, and then your thing disappears, you know, or whatever, or the sun sets and you're like, I didn't get a good picture. It's because you have to get it away from that and get it on this other object. And in life, when he says, to make Jesus the author and finisher, you're going to have to make your focus on him. I remember this years ago as I was growing with the Lord. I was dealing with this, and I think we always will. But I remember the Lord dealing with me because I'm like, I keep having a bad thought. I'm thinking, and he didn't tell me, oh, yeah, those bad thoughts. You're bad for having bad thoughts. He didn't say that. All he did was, said this inside, he just said, well, quickly move your mind back over onto the answer. Just quickly do it. If you get a bad thought, don't freak out, just, just quickly move it back. In other words, don't look at one thing, put your mind back. What am I saying? Put it back on the answer. There's power in the Word of God.